Hey, Guru Nation, welcome to another episode. Look, I've got Brandon Lee from Power. He's the co-founder of Power. He's Forbes 30 under 30. Uh, he is running the clinicaltrials.gov, I guess. The way to describe Power is it's withpower.com. The link is underneath. The way I understand it, Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. It's a user-friendly clinicaltrials.gov that's meant to connect patients with research sites. Yeah, Dan, thank you for having me here. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the way that we like to think about it is that Power is a modern clinical trial marketplace. So what does that mean? It means that we make it easy for patients to find and discover exciting medical research and connect with the, the researchers directly. We make it easy for those research sites to find and connect with interested patients that are nearby. And then we make it easy for and then we make it easy for sponsors to talk about their research and share more about the research in a way that patients can understand and find and get interested in participating in. Um, and then finally, we close the loop between sponsors and sites uh, to help them collaborate more closely, transparently, and in real time on uh, what is happening on the ground for their um, for their recruitment activities. Okay. Well, before we get into the why and all that, I just wanted to kind of kind of double click on the um, sites finding patients part just for a second and. While you talk, I'm, I just want to share the screen really yeah. quick. So this is the homepage with power.com. Um, I used it for my site, you, my Arizona. I did find the studies I was doing. Um, so you can just kind of play around with it. Most of you guys are researchers or, you know, you know, who's going to be using this. Brandon is um, research sites trying to find studies that they can apply for. <laughs> That's I use clinicaltrials.gov exclusively for that. The joke of clinicaltrials.gov is kind of like, this is like the industry joke. If you take away oncology, right? Because oncology, you have a very motivated um, patient population. So they, they're familiar with how to look on clinicaltrials.gov, how to look for past studies with results. If you take oncology out, because oncology is kind of its own thing, just regular, let's say diabetes, internal medicine type of studies, Patients are not using it. It's research sites using it to see what studies they can apply for. And then indirectly figuring out <laughs> how to contact the study leads or study director to get that study. Um, I guess, is that possible to do on your site too? Uh, for study sites to um, get in touch with a sponsor? Not yet. Not yet. Ah. Um, it's certainly a compelling vision, right? Sponsors going to um, love you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, the, you know, the vision here is, uh, I keep going back to this idea of a modern clinical trial marketplace. Like, what does that mean? It means that there are um, three really core stakeholders or actors, like in, in running the clinical trial, right? You've got the, the patients, of course, who I think have been forgotten for too long. You've got the mm -hmm. sites who have also been um, left to the wayside a little bit, but, you know, increasing talk now of trying to um, reduce site burn and improve the site experience. And you've got the sponsors. Um, and in our mind, there's a there's kind of a path between each of these um, stakeholders, right? You can imagine a triangle with kind of like edges that connect each of the uh, each of the nodes. Um, uh, in our minds, a modern clinical trial marketplace allows each of those connections to happen on platform seamlessly um, and in uh, and in real time. We make it easy to collaborate um, across the board. Um, today, our focus really is 
um, helping patients find and participate in um, in research. Um, but who's to say where it goes tomorrow, right? Um, and you know, like one of the interesting things you just uh, you just said was uh, the joke. The joke, the inside joke, is that clinicaltrials.gov is uh, for oncology patients, and then for sites to find uh, trials. Um, our platform doesn't necessarily look that way. Um, our platform, I think about a third of the patients uh, are oncology patients looking for trials, certainly, but then two thirds are non-oncology patients. They're also looking to actively participate in research, but a third of them in CNS and then a third of them in kind of the... Uh, but where are these where are these people coming from? Because it's like most, the average person doesn't know that clinical trials is even an option. And then they're not going to know about with power. I mean... Even us in the industry don't know about with power yet. So, like, where are they coming from? You guys running ads, or how is that? How are they getting to your site? Yeah, that's like the that's the most exciting part. So, um, about half of the people coming to our site, and I should start with we had north of three hundred thousand people use the site last year to look for trials. So, three hundred thousand people looking for trials. It's not a huge number, right? It's not. It's not the entirety of the U.S., but it's actually it's significant. significant. It's impressive. It's a significant number um, when you think about, you know, what do we need to enroll every year to, to make the system go well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 300,000 people, how does that break down? About half of them uh, find us on their own when they're looking online. They're like Googling, hey, I'm interested in, I don't know, like multiple sclerosis clinical trials in this geography. Um, and they might find us um, on uh, on whatever search engine they're, um, they're using. Um, have you have you used the new Bing chat, like the new AI stuff that's that's coming out? Yes, I got back on to Bing just because of the AI. <laughs> yeah, Bing AI loves us. <laughs> I see, I see. Um, so it's it's stuff like that. That's about half of the. Um, but that still that still captures like the intent crowd, right? Like mm-hmm. the ones who understand the concept. Hey, there is such a thing as clinical research. And I could participate, and I'm not a guinea pig, but that's still like a small piece of the pie. Like the majority of the people we're trying to get, they need to be educated on first, like what is research? I didn't know that was a thing. Most of my patients that are research naive at my site, they're like, yeah, I didn't know this was a thing, you know, like how. So it's like to me, it's if somebody can figure this out online, I think it's game over. Totally. So it's uh, the way that we think about it is you can't boil the ocean, right? You can't you can't solve for every potential um, person at once because everybody has a different starting point. Like to uh, to your point, the research naive patient has a different set of priors, a different set of assumptions that they come in with. Um, our viewpoint is, hey, let's start with the patients that are the most engaged, um, know what they're looking for. Let's help them first. Um, let's make it easier for them to experience their journey because frankly, the journey today for them, even them, is way too difficult, right? Um, then let's go one step further, right? Let's go to the patients who probably should be considering clinical trials, just but they just aren't being told those told about those opportunities at uh, wherever they're receiving care, right? Like how do we how do we then get in front of them? And then so on and so forth. But um, can't we can't really paint and brush across every patient because everybody's on a different journey, um, and that's the way we think about it. Um, anyways, 25, like, so that's about half of our patients. So half of the patients are the ones who are like engaged in looking online. Um, a quarter of our patients actually is starting to fall into this other category. Um, a quarter of them come from word of mouth referral. Um, we're starting to see things like, you know, community physicians, um, 
learning about our website and then referring their patients to us instead of clinicaltrials.gov because they see the experience and they realize, oh, this is going to be a, a, a tool that my patient can actually use to navigate the space as opposed to sending them to ct.gov, which will probably confuse um, <laughs> yeah. and scare them a little bit. CT.gov, I mean, we can maybe get into the origin story now. Mm -hmm. Maybe before that, because I might forget to ask this. So for sites that want to find patients, yeah, because that's, you know, I'm a site owner. Like, mm -hmm. sure, I'd love to find patients for some of my trials. They're, some of them are tough to enroll. Um, how do I do that? Yeah, so if you go to the website, um, across the top tab, there is four researchers and four sponsors as well. If you hit four researchers, um, we've got a little button up top, which is, hey, just try it. Um, you can actually create a login uh, by yourself without talking to anybody on our team um, and self-serve your way into the product. Um, we think of it as the first true self-serve experience for sites to connect with patients. Um, go ahead, give it a click. Let me know if it's not working for you, in which case <laughs> we'll, we'll happily take the feedback. And if you want to speak to somebody on our team, um, we always are, are um, open to jumping on the phone and spending some time together if it's helpful for you. I'm doing it right now live. Um, can you give me like just in the audience, like a brief rundown of what happens when when we do yeah, that and how that works? Absolutely. So um, you create a profile, um, you confirm or you you kind of confirm which, uh, which studies you're participating in. Um, and then we don't just let you um, claim any study and then start seeing information. We um, somebody on our team has to verify your identity and make sure okay. that okay you're actually valid. Like you actually work at this site. This site is actually associated with the study. You can actually see the information here. Um, and then once that happens, then uh, two things start happening. The first one is that if patients are connecting uh, nearby uh, your location for um, for the indications that you're recruiting for, um, they'll start being referred to you. Um, you can actually. Uh, take a look and customize a pre-screener um, for some of your studies if you're um, if you'd like um, to start triaging patients into your site um, in the way that you want. So a lot of um, a lot of sites actually use us as their intake tool um, because they can triage patients more efficiently. Mm -hmm. And then um, the second thing that happens is uh, you'll get access to our registry. So uh, when patients uh, use the platform, they sign up to uh, participate in our registry. It's kind of like an anonymous LinkedIn, like for patients. So patients have a profile up there and you can kind of reach out to them, um, send them kind of like a connection request <laughs> like you would on LinkedIn and, and see if they'd be interested in your, uh, in your research. I see. Yeah. I'm showing it for the people on video on YouTube. Yeah. If you're listening, you might want to go to the video for this one, the YouTube channel. So I just did, I'm not going to actually do it during the interview, <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> but I'll do it after, but interesting. So I noticed on there two free patient leads a month. That's right. Forever, or for at now. least for the time being. <laughs> for now, for now. I see. Yeah. You know, we're, so, we're we're getting a lot of feedback from sites. Um, how uh, many sites do you have like that actually did this, like claim their profile and like what I'm about than, to do? More than four hundred. Four hundred. Um, more than four hundred. That's right. Um, you guys do some good marketing, Brandon. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like we have, you know, like the who's who of like AMCs. Like we've got, you know labs individuals um, at these amcs that are um that are signing up and you know you're never gonna get the whole amc it's like a labyrinth over there mm -hmm. and then we've got like research like dedicated research practices as well as community clinics that do research on the side we have um the whole range of um of sites that are starting to use it wow man i'm actually excited about this because i've as somebody doing research since 2005 clinicaltrials.gov that's been my go-to um occasionally patients will ask 
questions um, about previous studies and I go to clinicaltrials.gov search give them the link say here's like the previous trials we're in a phase three here's the phase twos I mean there's some value there but I would never send the patients there on their own and say just try to find it on clinicaltrials.gov it's hard to find you get lost on there really quickly yeah Oh, you're going to be so excited about some of the updates that we're uh, we're starting to build to the website. So, what are you going to or, do, Brandon? Will tell us. Well, well, exactly what you just said. We're actually already pulling information from the phase two and putting it onto the website if it's available. So, um, if the results are available from phase two, side effects, um, any like prior readouts, we're starting to put them in there, um, and we're putting them into nice, neat graphs that patients can look at, as opposed to those really scary kind of like tables that we all like know about on on Yeah. Yeah. Um, then I think something that's really interesting is, can we can we find the posters that are presented at ASCO or AACR, right? Like this past week, can we find like the the publicly available information that's like being presented, the papers that are being published, whatnot, and can wow. we link to them, right? Can we link to them so that patients, we know that patients who are engaged are trying to find this stuff. Um, and our, our view is we want to make it as easy as possible for those patients to do their research um, and get engaged. Wow. Do you think you'll ever have like a publishing space for like if this gets big enough to where uh, researchers that want to submit their 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 journals, their papers can publish like Nature or Science? Oh, that's really interesting. Like, like could we have like the Elsevier of um, uh, of clinical trial information? Like, have a yeah, uh, just another option, you know, peer reviewed. And I just thought of it right yeah, now. Yeah. I mean. What's the difference between like nature? I'm mean, okay. Nature and science are the big <laughs> ones, but there's these obscure ones that no one's ever heard of. They're not household names and patients don't go there necessarily. Yeah. What, what would you call it then? <laughs> I don't know. Power, 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 power. publishing, <laughs> power publishing. You heard it here first. We're launching power publishing. <laughs> All right. I want some royalties. Ask, uh, let's talk to the board. Okay. Brandon, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> that is actually really cool. So I'm going to sign up. I see it as risk-free. Let's say I like it as a site mm -hmm. owner. Um, do you have like a pricing model or uh, is it per study? How does that work? Yeah. So um, right now we're actually, the reason I was hesitant to, to kind of um, confirm the, the two matches a month is we're, we're still in beta on this. Mm -hmm. Like we're in beta. We have 400 sites who've already signed up for beta. The interest has been phenomenal, um, but we're still trying to figure it out. Right. Okay. Um, so your feedback is going to be huge in us figuring it out. Um, but yeah, we've got a um, we've got a premium tier that you can sign up for as well. Um, what that premium tier looks like is a little bit of a um, investigation right now. Um, sign up for yourself if you're a site and find out. <laughs> and find out. Um, and who knows? Maybe we grandfather you into whatever um, whatever we're right. giving away for free right now. Um, I guess. Uh, so that bleeds into my next question because as cool yeah. as this sounds and. I promise we're gonna to get to your origin story, okay? Like that's I think that's important as well. This is your this is your show. We can do whatever you like. Uh, thank you, Brandon. Okay. Monetization, very important for a startup. You guys yeah. just raised seven million, I read. Which is I mean, congrats by the way. You can I think you can do a lot with that, although these days maybe not so much as in the past. How do you plan to monetize? Like, is it sponsor? You know, sponsors ultimately going to pay for it, like most things in this industry. It doesn't seem like you have a plan to get revenue from the sites necessarily. You just want the sites to buy in, which is, I think, the right way to go. What 
what are you guys having this guy whatever you can discuss that you're comfortable with yeah i i think about it um from two directions right um the first direction is i think naturally uh we're already working with some sponsors um uh on some larger phase three programs um we're able to provide you know insights across uh, the entirety of their study, you are able to um, support them from a recruitment standpoint, um, all this kind of stuff. We think of our, ourselves as a, an integrated uh, recruitment platform where we have unique sources of patients, right, that are using our platform. We've got um, a really slick intake um, and uh, pre-screening um, approach. And then we have a platform that allows uh, sites and sponsors to kind of collaborate on the patient referrals that are coming in um, that makes uh, makes that experience easier for everybody around um, in fact, I think we like we're looking at some of the numbers and <clears throat> we probably save 20 or 30 percent of like the operational like overhead and sites and sponsors collaborating. Like that's like the um the early indicators that we're starting to see here. So um these first uh sponsors and sites that we're working at working on from like a sponsor perspective um are are thrilled here. Um so that's like the sponsor perspective. Uh and then from a site level, um we'd love to find a way to support sites and um, sites that are, you know, innovative and forward thinking and want to try new things. As you know, um, all sites get a, uh, a marginal budget um, to, uh, uh, to experiment with on recruitment. Um, and we'd love to find a way to, uh, to support them through that, um, uh, through that as well. So um, it's really just about finding the, the right combination of things that allow us to have impact across the industry and align everybody's incentives in the right way. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think this could work, you know, I've, I finally I finally worked with my first central recruitment vendor that uh, central patient recruitment vendor I I got to say it's been like 18 years since I've been doing this <laughs> only one patient recruitment vendor and the one I'm working with now one in health they're the only ones that have sent leads that have actually screened and are two of them are looking to randomize soon I'm I'm like exciting. super excited that I actually found one. And it turns out, at least as of now, they don't work for sites directly. So the only way you can you can deal with them as a site is if the study you're working on happens to use them as a vendor. Otherwise right. they don't do like the you know, one on one with the sites. So I think there is a place for that. Uh and I'm hoping that we find something for sites because it's some of these studies are tough, Brandon. Like, I mean, <laughs> these trials are getting more complex, not easier. Yeah. And, you know, we've been having conversations with some sites that are telling us, hey, it'd be great if you could, you know, um, really, like, own your site profile, right? Like, hmm. um, each site has a different set of things that they like to, you know, communicate to patients about, um, you know, whether it's uh, the study team that's on sites, like, who they... Um, who the PIs are that you'd be working with, who like the um, the care team is, um, where they like what their credentials might look like. Um, all this is stuff that I think is relevant for patients as they try to figure out, you know, which sites I really want to work with. Um, and we want to give you the surface area for you to do that, to meet patients um, where they are, where they're looking, but also put your best foot forward. I like that the surface area. <laughs> That's cool. Um there's a need for that. I I know of a few bigger companies trying to do something similar. I think you guys are actually further ahead than most. I mean, uh, like I I never thought someone would come in and sure. and make like a better clinical trials.gov and 
I've played around with this for a few days now. I haven't, I'm going to sign up my site profile, but it seems like you at least got the user experience right. Um, just from brief playing around with it. But yeah, do you guys thank you. Focus, I appreciate like, it. Thank do you, like, was UX super important for you or like, what were like the priorities for like, um, for patient engagement, I guess, for you guys? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think it, it kind of, this might be a good place for us to start talking about the origin story and a, yes, a perfect. but um, our backgrounds as a team, we think about it as we're pulling together um, three unique like skill sets and putting them into like one place. Um, naturally, you know, we're bringing kind of um, a biopharma uh, skill set. Um, you mentioned one of our um, uh, incredible advisors and investors, uh, Jeff Kindler, former CEO of Pfizer, right? Jeff um, Kindler, well, man. As well as a couple others. Um, who help us, you know, really understand the space and make sure that we're um, we're aligning, you know, all of the actors appropriately and all the um, um, all the participants um, delivering what they need. Um, we're also bringing in um, folks from, you know, a more traditional health tech, healthcare setting. Um, and then lastly, and this is kind of where the rubber hits the road here, and I think what makes us pretty different as a team is we're bringing a pretty deep consumer internet background as well. Um, so. Both my co-founder and I come from this consumer marketplace space. A lot of our founding team comes from a consumer internet background. Um, and for us, it's all about building um, the best user experience possible from design to the engineering to um, the pathways that people use in order to accomplish a job or accomplish a goal on the website. Um, we need to make it as seamless as possible um, for patients and sites to do the things that they're trying to do. Um, and we believe that if we do that, then patients will continue to choose to use power um, to look for clinical trials, and that sites will continue to choose to use power uh, to meet those patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Like when you first open it, I remember learning about you first on Twitter. I think it was from like some biotech uh, stream or something, and they recommended you. Like a, a few people kept recommending you. Um, the DSI space so oh, the decentralized yeah. science are you a part of that i i joined here and there but in some of their tweet chats but you guys kept coming up i was like what is this what is this thing so that's when i first learned about it probably six months ago or so <laughs> yeah um, no i um I've, I've kind of engaged with those folks uh over on twitter as well it's a it's a funny space um twitter <laughs> do you think there's something there with the DSI, like the decentralized science i mean it's so costly to sponsor a trial but do you think it's actually possible like to follow in the footsteps of cryptocurrency and have a similar business model when it comes to sponsoring a, a study like kind of crowdsourcing a trial you know i i don't think that i know enough about it uh either <laughs> like i i haven't spent enough time but you know there's certainly something that's compelling about the vision of um like wow all of these you know basic science uh, scientists, um, the folks who do kind of the primary research, don't um, really get to participate in like the um, the financial success of their work. And I, th I think there's something compelling there um, just behind that uh, that mission on its own. But um, beyond that, um, very high level, I haven't engaged deeply enough to really have an opinion, I think. Me either. It's interesting as hell. Definitely worth keeping an eye on. But um, yeah, just wanted to get your take because I somehow I got connected to you because of that movement. I'm almost positive about that. So, your guys' different backgrounds. Um, yeah. whose idea? Like, what what happened to even 
want to do this. Like if you come from consumer, consumer yeah. internet, I mean, this seems How kind of boring. No? <laughs> How do we get dragged into clinical trials? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, the, the story is that my co-founder and I um, met at a prior company. Um, we we're doing a home services marketplace. Um, I should say my co-founder and two of our founding engineers, actually, we all met um, um, building a consumer um, home services marketplace. I think general contracting, plumbing, that kind of thing. Um, that business got acquired by Thumbtack uh, at the end of 2020. Um, and it was around that time that um, both my co-founder and I had um, our own personal run-ins with the clinical trial system. So um, his story is his own to tell, but I'll tell you, uh, tell you mine. Um, so around that time, I had a close friend of mine um, diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, fairly young age, we were um, certainly under 30 um, at that point. Um, and luckily, she's doing okay, largely because she kind of took her situation into her own hands and went to clinicaltrials.gov, found all the different options, and just started cold calling PIs. Um, wow. Right? Like, that's like, what can you do when you like, when you're faced with the information there? You can cold call PIs or, or you can email like generic inbox at bigpharma.com and, right. and, like, and, and just hope that somebody Good luck gets with that. Yeah. So she started cold calling. She got herself in front of um, um, a study and got herself enrolled. And long story short, she's doing incredibly well. That study actually had a positive readout um, just a month or two ago. Um, we can kind of see it coming just based on um, what was happening uh, happening with her. Um, but that was all really exciting. And the realization, at least on my part, was two things. Um, the first is that she can't be the only patient that's out there trying to learn about what's exciting in research, trying to figure out if there's a better option than the standard uh, treatments that are being presented. Um, so we wanted to empower those patients. And the second thing that we realized is wow, this actually feels a lot like a consumer marketplace problem that we've yeah. tackled before just in different settings. The way that we think about it is, you know, marketplaces, at least the best ones, help us navigate uh, traditionally opaque spaces in the real world. And that's exactly what research is, right? Um, so we thought, hey, I think there's a lot we can learn from some of these other um, marketplaces like Airbnb and Zillow and Thumbtack. Um, and we could bring it over here and hopefully do a whole lot more good for patients that are in need. Mm. I mean, powerful story definitely illustrates how important this stuff actually is. You know, sometimes we lose sight of that, us working in this space. We're just thinking about, hey, let's get a new study. Let's find patients for our trials. But there's human beings on the other end of this looking for, in this case, I mean, at the most extreme, life or death situation, you know, at the lesser extremes, just improve quality of life or curiosity for curiosity's yeah. sake yeah. um super yeah. powerful story so from like okay you get the idea and then but how do you do it because you don't really know anything about this space you mentioned my boy jeff kindler i mean he's <laughs> he probably doesn't remember me but i wrote him when i started <laughs> in research i did i was in the mba program also so we had a i had to do a case study on any company i wanted i picked pfizer because i was in clinical trials i thought oh why not just choose the biggest pharma in the space uh, and it was a long shot so i just i thought i would write him a letter i actually wrote him one like on paper physical letter yes this is like 06 email was a thing but i was like nah, nah i don't know i'm just gonna write him a letter he wrote me back 
and then we started emailing back and forth and it was kind of cool we had like a two-year period i was just like asking him questions about pfizer and this was before pfizer became like you know super hated or what i i don't can't get canceled i have to be good i i mean i mean i'm on youtube probation brandon um <laughs> for, for very dumb reasons but i have to be good but are you allowed to talk about it can i can i ask why you're on youtube probation <laughs> sure yeah the first well it's the c word and the first one was um there was a whistleblower working on the pfizer study um at a site and she got interviewed by i think it was the british medical journal and it was just a complete hit piece against this study like you know they were going for sensationalism and mm -hmm. me and my business partner chris i mean we run sites we called them called her out on it and um we're actually defending <laughs> pfizer and we got we got i think within that hour long podcast we went down different rabbit holes and we mentioned various three letter agencies and said well you can you can understand why this might have gotten sensationalized people that don't understand this space they don't trust three letter agencies and i think that's what actually got my first strike my second one was reading a peer reviewed journal um that someone published on lipid nanoparticles and their effects on uh the v word uh <laughs> and so i'm in two man two within 90 days so i cannot get one more i get permanently <laughs> deleted brandon okay, well we're gonna we're gonna steer this conversation away from away from that <laughs> away from probation but my story yeah. with kindler was yeah please how did you get like you go from idea to like getting him on your board or investing like how do how do you draw that line like yeah um it's not a straight line, uh, <laughs> uh, like any any startup story. It's not a straight line. Um, was he the first, but, or like the first big name, or were there others like before him? Yeah. So um, the uh, the story is that you know we we knew nothing about the space. In fact, our first kind of version of what we wanted to do here was completely wrong, completely completely wrong. We we wanted to build like an Uber like experience um, for uh, for clinical trials. Where we, you know, we thought that patients might be interested in joining a database and being called, like, um, to come participate in a trial, like on demand almost, um, and that was just, you know, as you would know, like absolutely incorrect. Um, most patients, they might raise their hand, but then within a week, they've lost interest um, in your research. They're not waiting by their phones, like we right. to call them for for research. So we were just absolutely off. Um, so we spent some time on that and uh, made a bunch of mistakes. Then we realized, oh, actually. Um, the experience we need to build for is when patients have the interest in going to go look for a trial, it's too hard today for them to figure out which trial and figure out how to contact the nearest site to them. Um, so can we build an Airbnb-like experience that makes it easy to discover, browse, and connect um, with those uh, with those trials and with those sites? Um, that was kind of like the, like the um, really compressed journey we were on. Once we did that, the early kind of like patient experience was phenomenal so um we had a you know kind of janky version of what we have today but patients were still using it patients were still finding it and like you know we had tens hundreds of patients like hitting the button to try to connect uh, with trial sites but we didn't have the trial sites um in our network yet 
but people were saying we want to we want to participate here and we realized hey we're really onto something let's go um raise a little bit of money to go fund this and build it out so we can bring the um the network um together and it was in that journey that you know we ended up meeting um jeff via uh, artist ventures artists um coined the term tech bio they're a um a venture fund that um funds a lot of biotech um and uh, biotech innovation but also technology companies that support um life science and biology uh, so we kind of fit neatly in the portfolio there i think jeff at the time was a uh, an operating partner with them as well so helping them on a select handful of their portfolio um gotcha. jeff ended up joining us for our, our pitch meeting <laughs> and he said wow this actually makes a lot of sense um i like the vision and i like what you guys are up to um i'd be happy to uh, be a more active participant in um in helping you build this so um interesting we got engaged with jeff we were we were just honestly luck <laughs> So I had to, so it it started with VC, you know, you raised, you had a round or I guess an angel right. round or we were pulling together a um a first round and um I he see. happened to join one of our pitch meetings and he said, well, this is actually pretty cool. I like what you guys are doing. I got you. So there are there are a lot of benefits to being VC backed besides the obvious financial stimulus you get. You get connected to people like. Jeff and others. I mean, your website's pretty impressive. Like that, you show who's on your board, who's the key investors. It's it's a lot of big names in pharma, a lot of the big pharma respected names. Um, so I was just curious about that as a scrappy entrepreneur running community sites, like <laughs> how you get all of these people. Uh, the way I did was write a letter, <laughs> right? but <laughs> the way you Underrated. did was way more sophisticated. Underrated. I think actually writing a letter today would help you stand out more than trying to go raise money from somebody. <laughs> I agree. I think like oh six, yeah. it was still probably more people doing it in twenty twenty three. Probably no one's writing a letter. There's people that don't even know how to send a letter. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I believe very strongly in um in the power of you know just like sending a a thoughtful handwritten card. I think mm-hmm. like during Christmas we sent some cards to um some of our earliest supporters, um and. You know, everybody like everybody loves it. Like, you don't get real mail uh, anymore. You get spam and junk like, mail and like and marketing. But like, you don't get like a handwritten thoughtful card from somebody that you're working with anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what's next for you guys as you grow? I mean, you're trying to. You're young. This is a 2021 startup. Yeah. Are you pleased with the progress so far, or do you think you can be doing more? I think that um, I think that in a in a startup environment, you have to always be um, thankful for where you are, but hungry for what's next. You know, um, as I as I think about the progress that we've made in our in our journey so far, <clears throat> what is it? <clears throat> just uh, just over a year and a half, almost two years now. Um, I'm thrilled with where we are as a team, right? Like we had three hundred thousand patients use us last year to look for trials. We have 400 sites um, have signed up to connect with patients. We're working with um, some sponsors already to, to um, support the entirety of a phase three trial. Um, that's all really exciting, um, but it also um, is not enough, right? If we want this to really have the impact that we believe it can have, then um, we need more sites using the platform to connect with patients. Why? Because not only is that good for the sites, but that's good for the patients. Mm-hmm. Um, the more sites that are using the platform, the more likely patients are to get um, connected to a uh, to an appropriate site. We need more sponsors using the platform. Why? Because the more sponsors are using the platform, the more sites are empowered to use the platform. Um, the more patients can learn about their research um, and the merits of the the trial. Right? Because it's only the sponsor that can go on and say, "Hey, like this is this is our trial. This is why it's uh, potentially exciting. Here's kind of 
the IRB approved like explainer videos and infographics and all the stuff that we um, that we've you know invested a ton of time in um, wow. that you should be you should be using as a patient to understand what this research is about. Um, Those videos are helpful that the sponsors create. Uh, I did an informed consent yesterday on a patient on a screening mm -hmm. visit and. The sponsor for this study, they don't usually do it, but this sponsor made this little four minute video about the like a deep dive into the science. Yeah. It was very well produced. And I use that now as part of my consenting process for the study. I think that's brilliant, right? Like um, we need to we keep saying this, right? Like we need to meet patients where they are. And oftentimes what that means is they uh, they see this as something that's high risk and they don't understand. But, you know, if we can find ways to explain it to patients, the research, the um, the science, the reason, like the hypothesis, the reason why right. we think it's promising, um, I think it'll go a, a huge way in building trust with that patient um, and getting them excited to, uh, to participate. Yeah, I think when the sponsors do stuff like this, like they, they usually focus, I mean, it makes, I understand why, they focus on the interesting science behind the ip sort of the why like the rationale the very high level and they mm. show how complex it is but they made this particular video made it made it very uh well produced in in the sense of it was almost like um shedding light on something very complex it got down to the the various signaling enzymes and right. you know but i use it to show the patients and it's, it's only four minutes one thing they don't do i mean kudos to the sponsor for even doing that Many don't. Most don't. One thing they don't do, I think they can do the same thing for the drawbacks of the study, like the potential negative aspects of it. There's always safety right. concerns. And so that's one thing that was not in this video that when the video is over, I say, OK, before we get into this 40 page informed consent, <laughs> let sure. me just break down like some other some other possible negative yeah. Yeah. consequences. I wish they would do that. I understand why they don't, but somebody's got to do it. And it usually yeah. boils down being a coordinator like myself or a PI that are just MacGyvering this stuff. Like right. oftentimes with AI helping us, like, well, why? <laughs> you know, sometimes the sponsor doesn't even tell you why. They're just like, hey, we think. So you, we go down these rabbit holes. Um, yeah. I think that could be something useful as well, even though it sounds counterintuitive. Yeah. And then I think that like on top of that, um, we need to move away from four minute. I know four minutes isn't that long, but we need to move away from four minute videos towards like 45 second videos. Yeah. Like in today's day and age, like a 45 second, 30 second YouTube short. Um, mm. I'm hesitant to say TikTok, maybe it gets banned, but like, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like a 45 second, 30 second explainer, and then maybe three or four of them in a row. Um, I think that'll be way more engaging for, uh, for patients, but Hey, um, I agree. Baby, I agree. Baby steps, right? And then like, you know, if you're doing that, like that kind of like content, then you can add on the risk section, right? And like, you can do it right. as like a separate section as just like an add on. Yes. Eventually, hopefully we'll get there. <laughs> Eventually. Uh, that's why I mean, power. So with power.com, why hasn't this been done before or has it? I mean, I'm sure you studied this space, but why? Like, it seems like an easy idea. Clinicaltrials.gov sucks. Let's just make a better version. I mean, have people tried and failed? And what's different with you guys? I think a lot of people have tried. Um, I, th I think it's it's not a uh, difficult insight to look at clinicaltrials.gov and think, oh, we can do we can do better than this. <laughs> right? Like that's that's not hard uh, right. to identify. 
I think what's hard is like two parts. Um, the first one is really building a patient-centric experience and understanding what like what patients want to do in their journey as they're learning about uh, research. So if you if you look at our website, like it's easy, I think, at the surface level to be like, oh, this is like the same information, but in a different format. That's not exactly true. Um, it's slightly different and it's it's been augmented in a way that um, helps patients like navigate a little bit better. Um, and I'll give you an example. Classic example is that um, on clinicaltrials.gov, it is impossible to search by the nearest site to you. It's like, I see. It's impossible to do the location search. Um, in order to do the location search, you have to do a lot of really like ugly data cleanup and data like um, data engineering um, on site locations, um, and that's like on a per site basis. And then you have to take that and complete uh, create a completely different database of like potential site locations, um, and use that to surface um, surface locations, but also surface um, or sorry, um, use that to influence the way that the search experience um, is built. Um, so there's all this kind of like really ugly backend, but there's a really ugly backend problem um, that I put under the category of unclean data <laughs> um, okay. from clinicaltrials.gov um, that you need to go in and clean up and like spend the time like managing um, if you want to build an experience like this. Yeah. I mean, they. I'm on clinicaltrials.gov right now. They redesigned it. And they still, the default is still the old design, but if you click this, link on the top of it uh it will give you the newer design and um you i see what you're talking about i mean like the closest you could get is within 25 miles of an address um or you can just pick city you know and in a smaller city like yuma it's not that hard yuma arizona um you can find like probably the couple of studies i have um let's do a live and see the, oh, there's the hospital doing this. This is my study right here. Mm -hmm. um, I've probably said too much, but I mean, <laughs> like I've done this already on your site and it is cleaner. It's It shows me, the difference is it shows me like, it somehow knew where I was and it shows me like within 10 miles, like less than 10 miles from me. So it seems more specific, which probably is more useful in like a larger city like Los Angeles where, you know, 10 miles is like, could be an hour <laughs> or more depending on the time. And it'd be better to find the one within two miles or within, you know, one mile as opposed to 10 miles. So was that kind of the idea that you're talking about or uh, is it just even more, more than that? I think it's, it's, it's a lot of like TLC. Um, it's a lot of small things that, add up to a larger experience. I think that um, if you look at, uh, I don't know, the experience on like Airbnb, right? Um, it's not like one thing that makes the experience. It's a lot of really small details that somebody crafted with a lot of care um, that allows it to be the experience it is. And I think it's similar with our platform, right? Like, you know, location-based search is one thing. Then there's another one, which is, and people are always <laughs> um, baffled by, by how we've done this, but if you look at our study summaries, like we have rewritten all I the see. study summaries from the medical jargon that is on clinicaltrials.gov to something that's plain English. Uh, um, and we do that across every, and we do that across every study, right? Um, like man, humans do it, or you have an AI style, or how does that? Uh... 
our, our team has found a way to do it. Um, uh, and like that, like that level of care, I think helps a patient who's like learning about a trial go, oh, like I can kind of actually understand what's going on now, as opposed to, you know, like the five paragraphs that you get on the front of clinicaltrials.gov, right. um, which is like, oh, this is a double blind, like dose escalation, like yeah, all these yeah. things that patients are like, I have no idea what this means. Um, so we found a way to kind of take that and make it into like, I don't know, three or four sentences that, you know, um, uh, most people can, uh, can read and understand. And, uh, I can give you a hundred examples like this, but it's, um, it's a lot of small things that come together, um, in a meaningful way. Well, well explained. That's, um, something that definitely I'm going to keep an eye on. I'm going to sign up my site for it. You guys verify that we exist. We already have my study, a couple of my studies on there. I already looked. So yeah, um, I'll be interested to see like how it works. I'm not expecting to get any referrals, but I'll definitely contact them when they do. And if they do and see, you know, give my feedback, but as a brand new startup, you know, almost two years now, it's, it's, it's cool to see somebody trying to improve the experience for patients because that's, that's something that the industry always pays lip service to, but I don't really see them doing at scale. You know, it could be done at the community level, like smaller sites like us, but at scale, it usually uh, doesn't work out for some reason. Yeah. Well, it's hard, right? Because when you think of um, the way that the organizations are built mm-hmm. and the way that like like organizations, like organizational structures um, influence, you know, what people can focus on. Um, at the sponsor level, everyone is um, organized around a single study or like a single like asset, right? Um, and all like like day in day out, what you're thinking about is like, how do I get this asset from like this milestone to like the next milestone? Um, um, it kind of takes a third party, I think, like a non-sponsor affiliated party, a non-site affiliated party, to really take the patient view across the system, across the board. Um, and that's the that's the role that we hope to play, right? In partnership with you and other sites and um, folks to to make the site experience better, and in partnership with uh, sponsors um, who can use our platform to deliver a more patient-centric experience for their trials too. When I when I first learned started like learning about these kind of things, uh, probably oh eight oh nine, definitely twenty ten when I started YouTube. Social media was like becoming mature, right? Like you had um, still the early crowd on Twitter, but like Facebook was starting to be- have more real people, not just students. Um, and now, I mean, we're in a whole different world where social media is just ingrained in in our lives. But like 2009, 2010, it was. And there were websites like Patients Like Me, uh, which now got acquired by one of the big insurance companies, I think. And um, a few other like niche little social networks where patients Mm. would essentially do what power is doing. um, Help each other. Help each other out. Yeah. Do you think there's room for like a social component of this amongst patients within power or... Are you leaving that for someone else or do you think that just doesn't work? You know, I think it's a really good question. Um, one of the behaviors that we're starting to see right now is that patients will discover our website and then share it with other patients in their social networks. So they'll go to their Facebook group and say, hey, have you checked this out? Like this is, um, I was just using this for like looking on my own and it seems like they've got a bunch of like clinical trial information. Mm-hmm. Um, y'all should use this to, to take a look. 
That's how um, I discover on Twitter, you know, through right? that D side. I think there were some patients in there chiming in also. Yeah. So rather than, I think rather than trying to recreate a social network, I think that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. People are already congregating on Facebook, on Reddit and in their communities. Um, rather than like trying to recreate a social network, um, our point of view is that um, we want to make it very easy um, for those social networks to discover us um, and help each other using our platform. Um, so that's that's kind of the uh, the path we're going down here. Um, mm-hmm. Rather than trying to create a social network, really just trying to empower the existing ones. Yeah, it makes more sense. The the other one I remember was clinicalconnection.com, which oh, yeah. used to be just a message board. And I actually... Back in 2010, I think I played around with it, but he never got the the interest there was amongst the healthy volunteers looking to get paid, you know, big bucks. Like what center is paying the most and what do you got to do? Like it wasn't like the real clinical trials we're dealing with here where um, we're talking about like treatments, alternatives, life-saving situations, as in the case of your friend. Yeah, lots to talk about, Brandon. I mean, I appreciate you coming on. And um, Brandon's LinkedIn is underneath this video and in the podcast as well for those listening. Um, thank you for coming on. Anything else you want to add that you didn't get a chance to say? Uh, no, I think we covered a lot of ground, Dan. Thank you for having me. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess maybe did. like last thing, I'll I'll plug a I'll plug a newsletter that we're uh, we're launching. Um, ah, okay. So just, just launched a newsletter. The target is for clinical operations leaders who want to challenge the status quo. Um, it's a little bit of a uh, ClinOps newsletter. It's a little bit of a humor newsletter. Um, and we're calling it Clin Oops. Clin um, Oops. Clin Oops. So if you're uh, if that sounds like you. Um, that does sound like me. Check us out. I'll send you the first issue. We just launched it yesterday. <laughs> I got um, memes so for you. If you want to publish memes, I've got endless supply of mean, memes in here. Let's co-meme. Let's uh let's, let's be uh, let's be co-meme lords. Uh, that'll be a that'll be a fun place to be. Clin <laughs> Clin Oops. And how do Clint I find oops. this? How do people find this? Clinoops.substack.com. Um, substack, okay. Yeah, but I'll 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 send you the uh, the link and we can pop it into the show notes. <laughs> okay. Done. And I'll I'll be on there too. Thank you, Brandon. Cool. I'm glad we finally got a chance to connect. Everybody go follow Brandon. Do you prefer LinkedIn or Twitter? whatever people. you whatever you like um okay Twitter we'll, do, we'll stick to the, linkedin uh, for linkedin is more of the like you know professional content and twitter is a little bit more of like the unfiltered like train of thought <laughs> twitter's the wild west man but that's how i found you it wasn't linkedin there's some um, magic there there's some yeah, magic there there. Is some, there's a lot there okay thank you brandon everybody go yeah, follow a lot. Uh, i really appreciate it keep up the good work maybe we'll do a follow-up in a year and see what's new and i'll definitely give my thoughts as i'm using it as a community Pretty site good. and do see I'm I'm actually excited. There's something for sites potentially. Please do. I'm excited to hear your feedback. I'm excited to continue building the platform. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you everyone right, for man. watching, listening. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Bye bye.